Hello, everybody, and welcome. It's uh, showtime here, and we have a very exciting show for you. We're going to wait a couple minutes for more people to join us. Um, it looks like uh, we don't have anybody on live yet. Um, so we'll wait a couple minutes. Two people, welcome. Welcome. So glad you're here. We're going to wait a couple minutes to to allow latecomers to join us. Uh, we have a very, very exciting presentation here with Jeff Palmer and uh, Angela Crawford. Dr. Crawford is going to join us too. Hello, Peg, welcome. So glad you're with us. Um, and we're going to just wait two more minutes, give a few more people a chance to, to come on live. We, uh, people are, uh coming on as as we wait here um and i will get started in a minute so um just general background we have uh jeff palmer and dr crawford angela with us and talking about how do we inspire and influence and jeff is going to address how really talking with ma masculine energy is is uh more powerful and he'll get into it. He has an amazing presentation. I had an opportunity to preview it. Uh, hello, Brooklyn. Uh, good morning, Facebook users. Hello. Uh, welcome. And what we'll do is uh, we'll get started here. I'm Peter Goldstein, founder and chief synergy officer for We Did It That Health. And I have selected synergy as, as my title because what we're really doing is we're looking to synergize and bring together the many voices to help us be better ambassadors because uh, we have found uh, so frustrating. I know that it all started with my frustration with my family and friends because I couldn't figure out just exactly how to uh, to successfully inspire them to take a look at changing their lifestyle. So we did it that health and specifically our Thrive and Inspire Ambassadors community. Our mission here is to create the platform, to have the conversations, to figure out the best strategies to help people uh, be inspired to take a look at changing their lifestyle. So uh, Thrive, because we want ourselves to be able to thrive both emotionally and physically. So conversations are about emotional well-being and physical well-being and inspire. How do we best get an opportunity, find the opportunities and uh, to inspire people we care about? Also, we're going to be bringing together curating resources so that when we have an opportunity to talk to somebody about about very specific their very specific situations we can in fact show them some of the the best research documentaries and information that's most relevant to them so we can inspire them so with that welcome everybody and i'm going to welcome dr angela crawford uh who has been who has been working with us and who's created our our uh, our ebook, our free ebook, seven best ways to seven best practices to inspire our friends and loved ones to be plan based, and people have loved the ebook. So thank you for that, Angela. And and with that, I'll I'll invite you to say a few words. Thank you. Thanks. It's wonderful to be here. I'm really excited about this presentation. Um, I have so much admiration for Jeff Palmer. You know, I'm a fairly new vegan. He's been a vegan for, I believe, 37 years. Um, and he's brought his expertise with bodybuilding to show that it can be done in a vegan way and in an amazing way. So, you know, as we start our conversation with him, and I'm just really excited to see what he's going to share, just a couple of words, just where this fits in in the larger picture of things. You know, those of you that have participated in our events, you know that, you know, part of what we did at Health is really about is how do we speak to others and relate to others in ways that inspire them and 
help them to be open to the vegan plant-based message. Um, so often, as Peter said, we've tried to share it and maybe it hasn't gone so well. Um, so with my background as a psychologist, I've been just fascinated about how can I bring psychology to help, help the vegan movement in different ways, you know, and communication is a big part of that. And, you know, what Jeff will be sharing is very much aligned with all the good communication skills, actually, that leaders in communication teach, which are things like, you know, who are we speaking to and how do we relate to that person in a way that they can actually hear us and benefit from what we have to say. And, you know, similar to the ebook where some of the, um, as those of you that have read the ebook about seven best practices to inspire your loved ones to go plant-based, you know, we talk in that ebook about what are the person's deepest concerns? How do we meet them where they're at, you know, and look at where their readiness for change and what really speaks to them? How do we be a great role model? And how do we bring the approach that best works for the situation that we're in and the person that we're speaking to? And it also fits with our personalities. So I think Jeff will really embody that. And I want to just not wait any longer, but to turn it over to him. So welcome, Jeff. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for this opportunity to speak to uh, an issue that I've been um, concerned about for uh, many decades now. <laughs> and um, hoping to make a positive difference. Um, my experience comes from uh, battling with suicidal depression and knowing what tremendous suffering feels like. And, and I now, as a research background through science and biology in college, uh, I was fascinated to see the impact of, of health and nutrition on, on our own personal health. And now where the science is caught up to us at this point, there's an overwhelming amount of research. And we're going to talk about that some in this presentation. So let me get back to slide one. All right. Um, so the topic today is meat and masculinity and tips on talking with men. Um, so with this, we'll just dive right in. Uh, so a little bit about me. Uh, I've been vegan for 37 years. Uh, I was chosen by Plant-Based News, which is the uh, one of the largest media in the plant-based community, as a top 100 most influential vegans in the world, which is nice. Also a natural bodybuilding champion, as you can see in the picture, natural physique champion, but also an author, and I've had speaking engagements all across the country. So, you know, some people say, well, um, you got that way because of me. No, I've been actually completely meat-free. No animal products whatsoever in the last 37 years. Uh, they say, oh, but you're a younger guy. Well, no, I actually turned 60 in just a couple of months. And um, you can see the picture of myself when I was 16. You know, some people say, oh, it's genetics. You were born with that muscle. <laughs> like, well, you can see my 16-year-old self. I was a scrawny little kid. So there was no genetics. It was diet, nutrition, and exercise. And then people say, accuse me of using drugs. And I'm drug-free and named my company, which you can see on my chest there, Clean Machine. And I did that to encourage other people to keep their machine, their body, clean and free of drugs. The reason being was I abused drugs and drugs almost took my life in my early uh, teens and 20s. And finally, when I broke free of that, I became vegan and drug free. I realized the benefits of it. And now I'm a strong advocate for leading a drug free life. I'm happy to say that at almost 60 years of age, I'm still 100% drug free. I don't take any medications whatsoever. I have no health challenges, no disease states, no arthritis, no cataracts, no nothing at the age of 60. And that's the life that most people should be living. But now we find out that even people under 35, now up to uh, up to 50% already have a health, a, a critical health challenge, doesn't need to happen. And it's because what we put in our mouth. Now, what is masculinity? And why am I choosing masculinity? Well, men have a more difficult challenge in making changes by and large, especially here in the United States. 
But the roles of masculinity are, are, are pretty simple. And these are just basic ones. There are many more roles of being uh, a man in this society, in this world. But here are, the, here are some very key ones. One, being a good provider. Uh, that being a good provider used to be, you know, that we went out and provided food. And uh, of course, that's turned into money because money is now how we acquire uh, food, building shelter, doing that sort of stuff, being a good provider for others, for our family, for our community, and for ourselves. But you need to survive. Survival is the number one thing for all animals. You have to survive. I'm going to show you the research that shows that men are actually giving up a lot of their life and not surviving because of what they choose to eat. Being a good protector, that means being strong, right? Building muscle. Well, we've come to equate that with something that is really not all the same. Having virility, having a good source of testosterone so that you can find an appropriate mate. This is a really important function of life for most men. And of course, reproduction for a large portion of the, uh, of the society. All animals reproduce. That's how we bring more life to this planet. So what men, many men believe is meat equals masculinity. Meat equals protein. That's what they think. Protein equals muscle. That's what they think. Muscle equals strength. That much is actually true. <laughs> and strength equals masculinity. So we're going to dive into what some of those uh, pieces of what men actually believe and what's the real truth based on the science. Okay. So you can take extra testosterone, most people know steroid use, and use it to gain more muscle mass. It will actually force our bodies to gain more muscle mass than we are naturally able to gain. So the only way you can accomplish the physiques that you see on the screen right now is through drug abuse. And I say drug abuse because this is causing a negative impact on lives. These four athletes that you see all died within a six month period from heart attacks. Uh, George Peterson, dead at 37. A heart attack. Sean Roden, dead at 46 of a heart attack. Boston Lloyd, dead at age 29. Didn't even reach 30 years of age, dead from a heart attack. So you can see where this following this masculinity principle to its extreme is cutting their life short. So this interesting study uh, is actually a survey of a thousand people out of Australia found that 73% of men would rather reduce their life expectations up to 10 years rather than stop eating meat. So interesting, the same studies found that the research also found that men and women perceived meatier diets to be more masculine. It's funny that both men and women perceive meat as masculinity and 47% viewing meat eating as a masculine undertaking. So where did we get that idea? <laughs> the actual truth is they not only are giving up 10 years of their life, but more like 13 years of their life based on modeling research. This study showed a sustained change from the typical Western meat-centered diet to the optimal diet, which was mostly plant-based, either all plant-based or mostly plant-based from the age of 20, would increase life expectancy to up to 13 years for men, 10, over 10 and a half years for women too as well. So simply changing from a meat-centered standard American diet to a more plant-based diet or wholly plant-based diet could add up to 13 years of life for men. So if you are getting a disease, diabetes, heart attack, stroke, uh, liver disease, uh, cancer, um, all of hypertension, high blood pressure, all of these disease states are directly related by and large to what we are putting in our mouths, a meat-centered diet. And I'm going to show you the science that does it. I'm not just talking off the top of my head. So women are about, there's a big 
gender difference here between men and women. Uh, women are about twice as likely to, than men to say that they're eating less meat, clocking in at 31% compared to 15% of men. Overall, it's been estimated that 80% of vegans in the US are women. Why such a big disparity? Why are, with all the knowledge and all the science that we have, all the reasons that we have for personal health, for disease, for uh, environmental concerns, and for compassion to animals, why are women so much more receptive to this message than men? Well, scientists have been trying to figure this one out too. They've even named it the omnivore's acrasia. So what is acrasia? Uh, omnivore's acrasia as a state, you can see from the top study here, wherein one believes that non-human animals ought not to be harmed or killed, yet they continue to consume products, animal products, even when the alternatives are available. Why is that? Why is there such a big disconnect because of between what we believe is right, don't harm the animal, yet it's okay to harm the animal if you're gonna eat, eat them. So uh, another uh, group uh, study came out two years later, researchers have said, called it MRCD. They even have a name for it and an acronym for it. Meat-related cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is the disconnection between what you believe and what you actually do. So researchers have been especially interested in understanding how individuals morally care for animals and wish them no harm, yet simultaneously eat them as food, which of course you have to harm them and kill them to eat them as food. Why that huge disconnect? Well, this is not a new problem. <laughs> Dietary change resistance has been around since Hippocrates' time in ancient Greece. He said, before you heal someone, ask them if they are willing to give up the things that actually made them sick. Hippocrates is considered the father of modern medicine. As a matter of fact, the modern medicine folks take the Hippocratic Oath, named after Hippocrates. And the first uh, oath of the Hippocratic Oath is first, do no harm. Well, we know now that meat eating does cause harm. So how are our medical community taking an oath to first do no harm, but are not telling people to stay away from the things that are actually causing the disease states? Well, one reason for people resisting change is because they focus on what they have to give up. And that may be part of the problem. When you say, oh, you're going to uh, change to a vegan, it'll be better for you, it'll be better for the environment, better for the animals. They immediately often say, but I don't want to give up cheese. I don't want to give up meat. I don't want to give up surrounding my going to barbecues with my buddies and, and cookouts with my buddies. They have emotional connection to that. And it's a very strong one. And it's something they don't want to give up. Well, what I'm going to do is try to give you some information on meat and protein and, and what its impact on human health is so that they, they can see a bigger impetus, hopefully, that there is not what you're giving up. It's what you're gaining. You're gaining health, you're gaining sexual vitality, you're gaining improvements and, and being able to live longer and healthier. So let's take a look at the research. Okay, let's start with the biggest myth of all. Because every time I tell people that I'm vegan or plant-based, the very first question is, well, where do you eat your protein? And it's an odd question because all protein originates in plants. Actually, humans and all other animals don't make essential amino acids, the, the building blocks of all protein on the planet that is only made by plants, plants and bacteria. There are some bacteria that actually uh, synthesize uh, essential amino acids, but we don't sit down to a bowl of bacteria for breakfast in the morning. So that's not the case. Almost all animals on this planet get all of their essential amino acids, either directly or indirectly from plants. 
all of it. And this is how they are made. Sunlight goes into the plant. The plant takes that sunlight, binds the energy of the sun through chlorophyll and through photosynthesis into the materials and forms glucose. Glucose is the foundational molecule. All amino acids are made from glucose. All protein is made basically from a glucose molecule. All starch, all fat, all carbs, all fiber, all wood, all, almost all your vitamins, everything starts out in this foundational carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen molecule called glucose. So when I hear people say, oh, I don't do sugar, <laughs> like, yes, you do. You're just not aware of it because sugar is the foundational element of every single nutrient we eat just about, except the metals, the minerals category. Okay, so this is what uh, the chart on the right there, this is called the trophic levels. So this is what we know in science, that all nutrition comes from the first trophic level which is plants. Plants pull up all the minerals from the soil. Plants pull up, uh, create all the vitamins through uh, photosynthesis. They create all the essential amino acids. They create all the essential fatty acids. All nutrition really is created on this first level by plants. And then herbivores, the second level, they eat them. And then carnivores, the next level, eat them as well eat the uh, herbivores. But you see, the pyramid gets smaller and smaller as it goes up because there's waste, up to 10% waste at every step of that level. So by the time you get to the apex predator, there can only be a few of those because they depend on everything else below them to, to bring that plant nutrition to the very top. So when people say, when I hear guys say, oh, I'm an apex predator, I'm like, well, that's the least efficient of all the animals on the product uh, on the on the planet at uh, consuming energy. The most efficient are herbivores. They get it directly from the source. It's like, hey, do you think you're smart by shopping at a wholesale like Costco? Great, because you're getting it closer to the source and you're paying less and you're gaining more. You're getting more for your dollar. That's smart. That's exactly what the herbivore level is. They're getting it directly from the producers, the producers of all nutrition, which are plants. So animals do not and cannot make essential amino acids. They do not and cannot make essential fatty acids. That's actually why we call them essential because they have to come from outside of our body. All animals have to get this nutrition from outside of our bodies. So if all this nutrition is coming from plants, why on earth are we taking 41 million tons of plant protein and plant nutrients, then feeding them to 7 billion livestock, then killing the poor animals and only coming up with 7 million tons of food? We've taken 41 million tons of food and converted it down into 7 million tons of food. It's a horribly wasteful product. As a matter of fact, this would not be a profitable situation at all. You can't take $41 million worth of sellable food and turn it into 7 million pounds of tons of food and, and expect to gain a profit. If I told you, you give me $41 million, I'll give you $7 million back. Would you take that deal? I would, <laughs> but no, you wouldn't. And why are we accepting this extraordinarily wasteful use of feeding all the plant nutrients, all the protein, essential fatty acids, all the nutrients created by plants, feeding them to an animal and then yielding just a little bit of what's left. Oh, it's so wasteful. Look, would you kill an animal to take their plant protein? Why kill an animal just to take its plant protein when you can get it directly from the plant? Would you kill a person to take their money? No, that's wrong. You go out and make your own money. We can go out and eat our own plants the same thing. So it's interesting when, you know, people, especially men, associate meat with muscle. If all muscle is actually made of protein and all protein is made of essential amino acids and animals do not and cannot make essential amino acids, all essential amino acids are made by plants and some bacteria. That means that all muscle is technically made by plants. So everybody's muscle 
Every animal on this planet's muscle tissue is made by essential amino acids that came from plants. Why on earth would humans knowingly involve this wasteful practice that is causing pollution, that is causing ill health and killing the animal when we don't have to do that process at all? We yield more food, we are more nutritious, we have less disease, less pollution, and no animal has to die. I don't understand that. Where did we get this idea? 37 years vegan, I'm almost 60 years of age, I'm a natural bodybuilding champion. The meat is protein is a myth. Then people say, well, what about animal collagen? It's not found in the plant kingdom. And that's right. Well, here's an interesting study on human collagen. They actually bred, they genetically modified a bacteria to produce real human collagen, the collagen that's in our bodies. And wow, sure enough, the human collagen was better than all of the rest of the animal collagen. Well, of course, because it's more like what we exactly need. But would people eat human collagen? Got a little macabre, I know Jeffrey Dahmer would. But seriously, this is made by bacteria, so ethically it bridges that gap. But then they did the study and compared it to just plain old vitamin C from plants. Remember, uh, Herbivores, like humans, we don't make vitamin C. We have to get it from plants. And vitamin C is prevalent in the plant kingdom. So they took this human collagen and put it up against vitamin C, and it actually increased, vitamin C increased the amount of collagen in our bodies just as much as taking human collagen, which was better than the animal collagen. So vitamin C beats all the animal collagen out there. Yes, just eating more plants will give you better collagen production than actually eating human collagen. So this whole collagen myth is garbage. It's a joke, it's wrong. And there's the science right in front of you. The science was actually paid for by a company selling that human collagen. Okay, let's address muscle and strength. Here is the literal strongest human male in America. He owns the American record for lifting the most weight overhead of any American in the United States. And he is 100% vegan. No, strength does not come from meat. Strength comes from protein. Protein is created by plants. This guy is 100% vegan and is the strongest American in the United States. Okay, well, let's take a look at the research on actual protein. Is there differences? So they did a rice study, eight weeks of whey or eight weeks of rice, and they found that there were no difference between the two groups when it came to muscle gains. So the researchers said, yeah, but we know whey protein's higher in leucine and it's got to build muscle more. So let's do another study. Let's do pea proteins. That must be it. Let's try that. So they tried eight weeks of pea protein compared to whey protein. And they actually found that pea protein increased, uh, increased muscle 33% more than whey protein did. How's that possible? Well, let's jump into the reality of it. But first they said, okay, well, these are smaller studies. Maybe we just need to look at a bigger audience. So this one looked at over 40,000 people and found that there was no associations between protein clusters. That means where the protein were co coming from, whether it's beef, whether it was chicken, whether it's plants, didn't matter. What did matter was how much protein that they were consuming. That did matter. And you can consume more protein simply just by eating more plants. So in the rice study, they used 48 grams of protein, rice protein per day. And the pea protein, they used 50 uh, grams of protein. Why did the researchers use so much protein? And is too much protein actually bad for you? That's a great question. So the next comment is being a good provider and how do we survive? So let's take a look at this study. This study was really unique because what it looked at was increasing the total level of protein. So they looked at people with the highest intake of protein to see what happens. But what was unique about this study is that they looked and see how much was uh, eating animal proteins and how many were eating plant proteins. Now, the same amount of protein, say like 200 grams of protein, which is a high amount of protein, both consuming 200 grams of protein, what were the health outcomes? And this was startling. 
those eating a high animal protein diet had a 75% increase overall mortality risk. That's dying from any disease state. They had a 400% increase in cancer deaths and 500% increase in diabetes by meat consumption. This myth that, that uh, sugar causes diabetes, it does not. Fat, and especially saturated fat, is the cause of diabetes. We know this. This is borne out in study after study after study that is saturated fat that gums up the inside of the cells and gets the cell to shut down and stop uh, allowing uh, insulin to dock and insulin to uh, actually accomplish what it's supposed to, which is bringing carbohydrates and sugars into the cell for energy. Now, what's amazing about this study is they said, well, that's horrible. Four times as much cancer, five times as much diabetes and 75% and, uh, and increased death risk altogether. But they found this, the same study also reported these associations were either abolished or, or attenuated if the proteins were plant-derived. So why is that? How could you eat the same amount of high protein and the animal protein cause all these terrible health disease states, but the plant protein at the same level didn't? As a matter of fact, many, many have shown even eating high protein in plants actually reverses some diseases or reduce risks of disease. So why did the animal proteins cause disease and the plant proteins did not? Well, now through the research, we found it's multiple pathways that the proteins themselves are causing disease states. Number one, IGF, which you just saw in this uh, study here. This is, you can see the title of the study, low protein intake is associated with a major reduction in IGF-1 and hence cancer. IGF-1 is a growth hormone that uh, our bodies produce when we eat high meat diets or when we exercise or when we sleep. Now, exercise and sleep is not a bad thing, but we only produce small amounts of it. When you're not exercising and you produce a high amount of IGF-1 because you're eating a meat-centered diet, the problems can exist. IGF-1 can stimulate the growth of good cells but also bad cells. IGF-1 can greatly increase and rapidly increase the metastasization of cancer cells. That is when a cell starts out as a tumor, but starts growing and spreading rapidly. 90% of the cancer deaths of people are not because of tumors, because of metastasization. And you increasing your IGF-1 by eating a meat-centered diet every single meal is sending more and more of that IGF-1 to the cancer cells. As a matter of fact, methionine does the same thing. Methionine is a growth uh, enhancer. Now, a little methionine is good. We need it for cell reproduction, reproduction, cell repair, cell recovery. So a little methionine is needed, but that's what's in plant protein. Now let's take a look at that. But we also have heme iron and cholesterol. We're gonna to touch on all of them. Let's take a look at what the science says. So the lower amounts of IGF-1, why was that in vegans and, and those on a plant-based diet? was vegans actually produce a, another um, compound called sex hormone binding globulin uh, binding protein. It's a protein that binds to IGF-1 and makes sure that uh, cancer cells can't pick it up and use it. Once it's bound, it's safe. And they found that both in men, in the first study uh, above, uh, below rather, and the study above in women, both of them increased much higher of this IGF-1 binding proteins. Actually in women, up to 40% higher amounts in vegans than non-vegans or omnivores, those eating meat. So we are protecting our body from gaining cancer. That's why there's this huge disparity. What we're eating, the plants, are actually protecting us from stimulating rapid cancer growth. Okay. So let's talk about methionine and cysteine. So you, I, most people say, oh, but plants are an incomplete protein. Where did we get that myth from? 
it was a misunderstanding that more amino acids must be better because we looked at animal proteins. Hey, they're higher in cysteine, higher in methionine, two essential amino acids. So that must be better. <clears throat> Wrong. The opposite is the truth. Lower is better for humans. Methionine and cysteine, which are in, uh, in, they interchangeable, methionine actually stimulates cancer cell growth. Scientists have known this for so long, they've even categorized cancers and call them now methionine-dependent cancers. That means the cancer cell itself depends on getting more methionine in it to grow and to metastasize and to kill people. So the more methionine you eat in your protein diets, the more you have the potential of feeding cancer cells to grow. And you can see it right here, cysteine, almost three times as much, uh, actually over three times as much cysteine in pea protein, uh, in whey protein than pea protein. And in methionine, you can see it almost double there too as well. In meat, it's even higher. So these high rates of methionine and cysteine, cysteine converts to another chemical called homocysteine. This causes damage to our arteries. When it scratches up our arteries and damages our arteries from oxidation and, and turning into homocysteine, then plaques can form. Saturated fat, cholesterol can form those plaques, but it's initiated by those high homocysteine levels. We now know that homocysteine is one of the biggest and most important markers for cardiovascular disease, the number one killer of people on the planet. So you can see in this that it's the actual protein itself. It's not that plant proteins have too little of these amino acids. It's that animal proteins have too much of it. And that too much is actually stimulating aberrant cells to grow and to damage our arteries, which is cancer and heart attacks or cardiovascular disease, the number one and number two killers. And there it is right on the screen, the reason why. We're creating that situation by what we put in our mouth. So this is interesting too, you know, the big thing is, oh, heme iron from animals is better because it's so much more absorbed. And this is true. As a matter of fact, it's absorbed too much. And our body, actually, our liver produces an ingredient called hepcidin that blocks it because our body says, whoa, way too much heme iron. I don't want all that heme iron in our body. Why? Heme iron is an isolated iron all by itself, just free iron. What does iron do when it gets wet? It rusts. Basically, that's oxidation. Oxidation oxidation happens when we eat animal products. Look, whether it's chicken, fish, turkey, lamb, doesn't matter the animal. Whichever animal has heme iron in it. No plant has any heme iron whatsoever. So this is really important. This study, the first one on the screen, heme iron and meat and risk of colorectal cancer, the highest heme iron consumption, which is only from animal flesh, it only exists in animal flesh. Let's read the exact quote from the study. Heme iron has a catalytic effect on the endogenous inside our body, formation of carcinogenic cancer-causing in nitroso compounds, and the formation of cytotoxic damaging to cells and genotoxic, that means disrupting and causing damage to our DNA, which forms a cancer cell. When you damage the DNA, it starts producing aberrant cells, screwed up cells. These are cancer cells. And when you feed them that methionine cysteine, you can make them grow. So here you're eating the animal iron. It only comes from animals. It's found in all animal flesh, even fish and chicken. And it is known to cause cancer and to damage cells. So the good news is, Plants take their iron and bind it to an antioxidant called phytate. Now, we used to think, oh, it's bound to phytate. We don't absorb it very well, so heme iron must be better. <laughs> Just the opposite is true. It binds it until our body needs it. Then our body breaks off that phytic acid and releases 
just what we need into the bloodstream so it never has a chance to oxidize or form that damaging form of iron like heme iron, which is free iron and can pick up a free radical oxygen and start oxidizing and causing damage to cells. So what's interesting about that phytic acid, now that it's been broken off from the plant, remember it protects it from oxidizing because it's got an antioxidant bound to it. So make sure you're not getting oxidized iron in your system. When that phytate breaks off, phytic acid is a growth controller. Yes, you can even buy IP6, which is what I, uh, phytic acid is. It actually can go into cells and kill the cancer cells. That would be cool. Remember, it already protects and preventing the creation of the cancer cells. So it prevents cancers from forming. It actually can kill the cancer cells. But what's even cooler is it can actually be absorbed into the cancer cell and then turn the genes and repair them back to normal. So you take a cancer cell and turn it back into a normal, healthy, functioning cell, reversing cancer cells. That's what plants do. The animal heme iron is causing, is a known direct cause of production of cancer cells. And that same iron found in plants is a known to prevent, kill, and even reverse cancer cells back to their normal healthy state. This is phenomenal difference between eating an animal product and eating a plant protein. And we know this, cholesterol. Here's two pictures uh, on the left-hand side. These are uh, pictures of arteries in the brain, blood vessels in the brain of a healthy individual. And below in, in section B, are people with Alzheimer's disease. You can see how blocked their arteries are, and those blockages are saturated fat and cholesterol. As a matter of fact, it's almost entirely oxidized cholesterol. So this is where it comes in. When, people, when I hear people say, oh, I'm an omnivore or a carnivore, this is an interesting study to present to them. It says, is arthrosclerosis, which is the damaging of our cardiovascular system, is it a disease affecting all animals or only certain animals? Well, here's what's interesting the scientists found, that atherosclerosis, which is the damaging of the insides of our arteries, which sets up plaques, which cause heart attacks, stroke, and uh, uh, hypertension you know, or high blood pressure because if you're closing up the arteries, like you see below, you're gonna have high blood pressure. Okay, so they, they found that dogs, which are omnivores, cats, tigers, lions, can be fed saturated fat and cholesterol and arthroclosis never develops because they produce an enzyme to break that down and eliminate it. All herbivores, on the other hand, will get arthrosclerosis and arthrosclerotic material happening when they eat cholesterol and saturated fat. Get this, all herbivores get cardiovascular disease when they consume cholesterol and animal saturated fat. All carnivores and omnivores, true omnivores, do not get cardiovascular disease when they eat that way they actually have to take the thyroid gland out of the carnivore or omnivore in order to try to create that in there. It's because the thyroid gland in carnivores and omnivores actually produces chemicals that break that down and prevent the uh, placking from happening. Well, if that's true that only herbivores get uh, you know, placking and damage to the arteries by eating cholesterol, which is only found in animal products, then what are we saying? That humans are actually herbivores because cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of human beings on the entire planet. Globally, it is the number one cause of premature death is cardiovascular disease. And that is caused by the consumption of saturated animal fat and cholesterol. And we know that, we see it. It's the cause of uh, 
vascular damage anywhere. And that vascular damage and clogging goes to the heart, that's a heart attack. Goes to the brain, that's a stroke or Alzheimer's disease. Goes to the genitalia, that's erectile dysfunction. That's what clogging those arteries doing. That's what eating animal products with saturated fat and cholesterol are doing to our bodies. They're killing us. Okay, speaking of that cholesterol uh, and genitalia, it's funny when I hear people say, oh, I don't want to be vegetarian because soys have man boobs and, and, and phytoestrogens and soy. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's just the opposite. Uh, this is a funny meme that uh, I happen to be in. I'm the guy in the back, uh, back level there on the left. But these are all vegans, all who eat soy. And you can see uh, no man boobs there, um, just physical fitness. Um, so... This study showed that uh, neither soy foods uh, nor isoflavones uh, affected sperm, semen, testosterone, or estrogen levels at all. And this is a review. This is not a cherry pick study. This is an actually review of 417 studies on soy, and they found no adverse effects whatsoever for soy on any estrogen, testosterone, or anything like that. So that's just total myth. Where did that myth come from? A couple of uh, people from the dairy industry started putting out studies uh, to try to perpetuate this myth, get men afraid of drinking soy milk because it was taking away their sales. More people were drinking soy milk than the animal milk. And they said, hey, how do we win that bet? Let's scare the hell out of men by telling them they're gonna, they're gonna become effeminate and, and grow boobs. And it was a very successful marketing campaign, but it was a lie. Okay, if you actually wanna know what the strongest phytoestrogen in the world is, in the entire plant kingdom is, it's hops. Yep, that ingredient that makes beer, beer. <laughs> so as you can see, the hops is so strong, it's actually 50 times more potently estrogenic than soy is. So every glass of beer, you're 50 times the amount of phytoestrogen than uh, an estrogenic impact on your body than if you were eating soy. So you would have to drink 50 glasses of soy milk in a day just to get the estrogenic effect of one beer. I challenge guys to stop drinking beer. Beer is the dude drink and it's more phytoestrogenic than milk. And, and even more ironic, they eat dairy products. Dairy is estrogen produced from the mammary gland of a female cow. It's as estrogen loaded as it gets. Uh, and then you've got eggs. Eggs are the best source of protein. Eggs are the ovary of a female chicken. It's estrogen produced. Oh my God. You know, it's so ironic that guys are sold on this fear by a marketing play of soy and they're drinking beer, eating eggs and drinking milk, thinking that that's better when they're getting real estrogen from eggs, milk, and even chicken and getting the strongest phytoestrogen from beer. Okay. So this study found that plant-based diets are associated with a decreased risk of erectile dysfunction. Why is this? Okay. So eating animal products, cholesterol and saturated fat clogging the arteries. This reduces the blood flow to the brain, as we said, to the genitals and to the heart. It increases inflammation. When you inflame the arteries, right, they swell and close together. This blocks the blood flow even more. So we know that the most, one of the most inflammatory substances is arachidonic acid. Meat has arachidonic acid in it. Actually, the omega-6 that are in plants that everybody claims to be so pro-inflammatory is not. The omega-3, the omega-6 that is in plants is LA and GLA. Both of those are anti-inflammatory. Where did we get this idea? Because arachidonic acid is such a potent. So it goes from LA, it converts to DGLA, then GLA, and then into arachidonic acid. But the body won't convert that from plants until it really needs it. And some arachidonic acid is needed for proper inflammatory response. 
But when you eat an animal product, it's already down converted all the way to that arachidonic acid. So all you're getting is pro-inflammatory arachidonic acid. It's so funny when I hear people say, oh, all that omega-6 and plant oils is, is, is inflammatory. It's not, just the opposite is true. It's anti-inflammatory. And that meat is better, it's not. It is completely arachidonic acid, almost entirely converted down to arachidonic acid because you're eating the muscle tissue. Muscle tissue holds on to arachidonic acid. When you exercise that muscle, it squeezes it out and then the body signals to repair the muscle tissue. That plays an important role. But when you eat that muscle tissue, you're eating pro-inflammatory arachidonic acid, that omega-6 that is pro-inflammatory that everybody fears is in the plants when it's not, it's in the animals. It's so amazing that we've distorted the truth so badly to promote our own agendas for marketing, for agricultural sales and stuff like this, that we've, we've actually turned the truth into the lie and the lie into the truth. It's amazing. So plants actually boost nitric oxide, which vasodilate, they increase the blood flow. So nitric oxide, when we eat nitrates in plants, it converts to nitric oxide and then goes into our system and helps increase blood flow. We have anti-inflammatory effects. Most of the anti-inflammatory nutrients and antioxidants are in plants. And plants also contain other phytonutrients and polyphenols that help with this and help with vascular health and there are no phytonutrients and polyphenols in animal products, any animal products, meat, dairy, eggs, fish, nothing. Go even worse, eating just two and a half eggs a week increases the risk of prostate cancer by 81%. This was a Harvard School of Public Health study. It was phenomenal. It showed that men that ate just two and a half eggs per week not per day, per week, had an 80% increased risk of lethal prostate cancer, not just getting prostate cancer. Because most guys that will get prostate cancer will have surgery. Well, this is where it gets even worse. After prostate surgery, the impotence rate amongst men is up to 75%. So if you think, oh, no worries, if I get prostate cancer, I'll just have surgery and I'll fix it, that'll be great. But 75% of you are going to live impotent for the rest of your life. Really? Is two and a half eggs a week worth you giving up your entire sex life for your life? I don't get the trade-off. Is it just because men don't understand the risks that they're on? Or is it they don't care? I don't know, but I'm concerned. I'm a man. I don't want to see men suffer with prostate cancer, with them killing and dying from prostate cancer, or worse, suffering from it and having no sex life whatsoever for the rest of their lives. And plants actually can prevent this. We see over and over and over again in studies on vegans, almost no risk of, of a very low risk of, of, of prostate cancer, because you can always get prostate cancer developed for many other reasons just besides diet. All right, hormones. <laughs> that This idea that when you're eating plants, you're not gonna have high testosterone levels. And again, once again, here's the study right on the screen. I always put the links up there so you can look it up yourself. There's the title of the study. If you don't believe me, just look it up yourself. Vegans have higher testosterone than vegetarians and meat eaters. We know this. This is not new. This is not controversial. It's, it's scientifically known. Why is the public not up to date on what the science community knows? Now, the, the study goes on, and the reason I put the rest of the study on in there is to be fair. This was offset by sex, uh, higher sex hormone binding globulin, which means because we have a higher, vegans have a higher rate of testosterone, our body takes that extra testosterone and binds it to prevent it from being picked up by cancer. Because you don't want that testosterone to go into a cancer cell and, and, and actually cause an increased cancer growth. So you don't want that to happen. So that's a good thing that even though we have, vegans have a higher testosterone level, that we make it safe and bound so that we don't have those higher risks for cancer. Okay, 
So this one was was pretty mind boggling. Okay, so testosterone levels are higher in men, but what about sexual procreation, our ability to reproduce, our sperm quality? Well, this study was was pretty <laughs> profound. So the study is the impact of a vegan diet on sperm quality, sperm oxidative stress values, and total sperm count. So we looked at the total sperm count and vegan men had 188%, almost two times as much higher sperm count than meat-eating men. But that's not so amazing that the sperm themselves were 17 times more effective at getting the woman pregnant. So why are we saying that meat is virility when clearly the science shows that not only are vegan men producing more sperm, but their sperm are healthier, faster, and can impregnate a woman better. So non-eating men, vegan men, are the most virile of all. And if that weren't bad enough, the last sentence down at the bottom of the screen, furthermore, oxidin, oxidation reduction. Remember, plants are high in antioxidants, so it prevents oxidation or damage to the cells. So oxidation reduction potential was, and the proportion of spermatozoa, the amount of sperm with DNA damage was significantly higher in the uh, uh, non-vegan group than vegans. That means meat eaters had more damage to their sperm and more damage to the DNA of that sperm. That means a higher risk of those bad DNA actually causing birth defects. That's really scary and sad that, that, that the vegan men had a much cleaner, healthier sperm all the way down to their DNA so they would have a lower risk of actually producing problematic children, children with ill effects. That breaks my heart. That simply what we're putting in our mouth could have an outcome of having damaged children. It doesn't need to be this way. We need to get beyond this fear that meat is, if I don't eat meat, I won't be a man. You're gonna be much more of a man. There's the science, it's right on the screen. Healthier sperm, healthier, stronger sperm, better able to impregnate and, and deliver a healthy child. Don't you want that for your family? My God, I, I would. <laughs> okay, so let's do the challenges. The challenges, definitely for men, there are fear of judgment from their peers. If I change to a plant-based diet, people are going to you know, talk about me or say I'm doing something wrong. They're gonna isolate me. These are real fears, cultural norms, social norms, learned behavior, social support. Am I gonna get support from my friends? Do I have a community to build up? That's what I love about We Did It Health is to show a, a, that there are other people out there, other males like myself who are strong, who are vital, who are living the best life they can, disease-free. That social support is really important. Nutritional education, as you can see, the education, the science is there. What we need is this education getting out to more men so they and every person so that they understand the impacts of what you put in your mouth, the dietary choices that you make, and what the health outcomes are going to be. There is old habits and familiarity. Hey, I don't know anything about that. So there's a fear of, am I doing this wrong? Am I not eating the right foods? There is an identity situation. I'm a meat eater. I'm strong. I'm a male. I'm a lion. I'm an apex predator. They want to feel that way, but that's an identity situation, and it's not true, and it's killing them, and making them less virile, making them less strong. The convenience factor, that's a big one. And the marketing propaganda from the meat and the dairy and the egg industries, which are trying to put out these bogus studies to persuade people to increase the fear level so people don't change and continue buying their products. And of course, the meat-centered meal ideation. You put vegetables on a plate, they're like, where's the meat? There's got to be that centerpiece of meat. It's just got to be there, right? We just got to get beyond this type of thinking. So what are some of the tips? One, when speaking with males, especially uh, masculine entrenched males, 
check your own defensiveness. Remain receptive to them regardless of their comment. Mm, bacon. Don't be triggered by that. Just say, oh, did you understand? Bacon is a carcinogen, type 1 carcinogen. You can look it up on Google. I don't want you to get cancer, man. I care about you. So let's, let's, I don't want you to suffer. I mean, heck, your kids want you around, right? Your wife wants you around. Your partner wants you around. Speak with respect uh, to them. Take their questions and comments seriously. Like, where do you get your protein? 37 years vegan. Do you know how many times I've heard, where do you get your protein? Literally tens of thousands of times. But I don't let it get to me. I take every person to say, that's important. They just don't know. Let me tell you where protein actually comes from and why I get all the protein I need. So there's a nice list of, of, of suggestions for you. Find commonalities. Be a positive example. Why I got into bodybuilding is to show at 60 years of age, at 37 years of eating nothing but plants, I can have 17-inch biceps and be strong and healthy and drug-free at my age. That's the example. Be that example for people to be the best influencer. Um, share nutritional information. Get them to nutritional sites if you don't feel strong about that. But educate yourself too so that you have good responses, so that you come across with accurate information and so that you can speak with confidence. I hope you found this information enjoyable, informational, and I hope you'll be able to share it with people that you care about too as well. Well, thank you, Jeff. That's amazing information and and some really wonderful comments here. We're unfortunately we're pretty well out of time, uh, but one of my favorite comments here came from Deb. She says, uh, "It's not just mothers. It's not just what a mother eats that. Oh, and this keeps going off the screen here. It's not just what a mother eats." Uh, that determines the health of the baby, but the father's diet too. So 100%. how how true, a hundred percent. So hey, thank you everybody. And Jeff, thank you so much for, for this conversation, for this presentation. And I want to invite you back and we'll, we, we should set a time to have questions and answers and more conversations on this. I You've opened uh, some very important topics. I love the tips that you presented at the end and so much to share. Uh, I, I love that we all get a chance to review some of this information we've seen before, but it's just so important to, to see it again. And for those of us who've never seen it, and some of it I, I know I've never seen, but it's such important information because as, we, as we're meeting men who, who need some, some encouragement and some inspiration and, and some influencing, because we all hate to see people we care about suffer and, and, and be heading to chronic illness. So thank you. And everybody, uh, please watch for uh, a time we'll set and we'll be publishing a calendar. We're going to have conversations with Jeff. And Jeff, I hope you'll come back and present again. This is such amazing information, so important in our community. Uh, uh, Angela, is there anything you'd like to add here? No, that was incredibly <laughs> powerful. I would say just, you know, maybe if we do do a follow-up Q&A, like even diving more into those tips because they were really amazing. So I, it was great. Thank you for really important information. Yes. Indeed. I'm, uh, I'm sorry that the presentation went a little long um, uh, so that we would have a little bit uh, more time to dig into the, the tips and, and, uh, and the questions, but I would love to come back and address those in more depth. Yes. Well, that just gives us all an opportunity to get together again and and have have the more in-depth conversation. So, again, thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us. And please join us next week again at noon Eastern on Saturday. This is a regular Saturday at noon keynote talks with with the um, Thrive and Inspire community for ambassadors. And next week, uh, pretty much uh, connected link topic. It's really going to be uh, Margot Corey raising children in a non-vegan world. So back back to families now, it's about the children now that we're all 
healthy and, and able to create healthy children and give birth and, and bring on healthy children into the world. Let's also help them thrive in a world that's not very friendly to children. And certainly children have extra challenges as, as other children are so cruel and, uh, and uh, critical for them. So uh, Marco is going to talk about, about children and, and supporting children. So with that, Jeff and Angela, thank you both so very, very much. I so appreciate you and, and so good to have you help us uh, find ways to inspire. And everybody who's watching this, uh, the recordings on YouTube, and if you know any men who, who could use some encouragement, some prodding along their journey to become healthier, uh, please share the video from YouTube. So thank you, everybody. Namaste, vegan, and uh, look forward to seeing everybody next week. And keep watching our Facebook uh, groups and pages and newsletters. We're, we're publishing a calendar with all the wonderful events that we have coming up, not just the keynotes on Saturdays, but we're looking to have uh, more and more support groups and conversations throughout the week. Some really amazing things in store for you. So. Thank you, everybody. Look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye.